everyone, and welcome back to Once Upon a Time, your only podcast about, uh, I would say, $10 words, a mysterious author, and a foray into a new era of Once Upon a Time, at least for now. I'm Beth Elderkin. I'm joined as always by the lovely Abby. Abby, how are you doing? Incandescent. <laughs> I can't remember the other. I have the other words, but I don't want to ruin them. I love the ten dollars words. I'm very excited. I'm. We're getting into some reading. We're expanding our brains and our minds yeah. and our heads and our brains. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, I'm excited to do book club, and this is a nice. Th- I think this is going to be a nice way to ease into it. This was like the easiest way I think for us to, to start based on the reviews I've read about the other books. Oh, uh, is that this one is kind of like the this is the hey, this is the eases you into it. And then the other two have a little bit more expanding to the universe. Interesting. Well, everybody, we are here to talk about a book club book, our first one, because for those who may have not heard our last week's episode, we are taking a break from doing episodic recaps of Once Upon a Time during the actor and writer strikes, uh, because that's what SAG-AFTRA and WGA have asked, is that review podcasts refrain because it drives, you know, views and revenue to streaming services, which are not properly compensating the cast and crew behind those shows. So we are doing our part and we are, uh, we are changing things up a little bit with our Once Upon a Time book club. And we are starting with 2013's Reawakened, A Once Upon a Time Tale. Uh, this was uh, written by Odette Bean. And we're just going to kind of stop there for a second. Uh, because Abby and I have no idea who this is. Nope. And for all we know, this person does not exist. Or wrote a book and then drifted into the ether. Which, frankly, that's that's kind of what, as someone who's written things, I've kind of always wanted to do. Just, here's a book. <laughs> And then I just, you never hear or see from me again, erased from the internet, and no one ever talked about it ever again. Perfect. The perfect crime. Or it is a, as you you speculated, maybe a pseudonym ghostwriter situation. Yeah, it could be a pseudonym, an alias, someone was using a, a a created name to, you know... There's writer for hire situations. Uh, we won't get into it in much de- in a lot of detail, but uh, for example, the Vampire Diaries book series was a writer for hire situation where a publisher had an idea for a book series they wanted to do about the Vampire Diaries, and they went to a writer and hired her to create the series, and so she doesn't own it. And this could very well be a similar situation where the publisher. Uh, want Hyperion Books wanted a series, a book on Once Upon a Time. And so they went to a writer and were like, hey, can you turn this out for us? Sure, what's the money? Cool, I'll do it. And didn't want their, you know, other work attached to it because, you know, writers got to make money. Might have, you know, given them a, a different name to use. Or yes. Odette Bean is August. Or the author. Or the or- author. Just somebody, because that would be the most meta commentary on this. This is a person whom none of us know, sitting quietly in the background, writing a story about a story about someone writing a story. Like, how many authors (laughs) do we go? Is there someone writing about Odette Bean's life? 
just like <gasps> writing the there's an author following around the author of the author <laughs> oh Abby, how deep can just, we go you just made my head spin it's too much <laughs> it's too much for me we're two minutes in we've already gone too deep well, this book is a YA novel uh, recommended for ages 8 through 12, so uh, hmm. we're, it's perfect. There's All a ages. lot of swearing in it for a, an 8 to 12 book. I was kind of surprised. There's more swearing in the book than there is in the show. I think the second chapter, the first sentence has two swear words. Now, they're not big swear words. Like, they're kind of soft swear words in the mm. grand scheme of things, but still, two in the same sentence, chapter two. Let's go, I guess. Oh, yeah. And uh, this first book, Reawakened, is a is a retelling of the first season of Once Upon a Time. And every chapter so far has been named for a different episode in sequential order. So, But they don't actually kind of follow one-to-one. There's a bit of uh, truncation that's happening. Uh, there's one moment where truncated can i say it like that or is it just truncated can, uh, it, trun- can it be a can it be an like an action can it be a ver like a, an activity honestly it's book club we can do whatever we want yes Heck beth yeah. you absolutely can all right truncation at one point henry like does this giant exposition thing about the uh regina's past which was a thing that we had seen in a flashback in the show. But they're like four episodes worth of flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Like he's just, but also what's funny about that is that, and we'll get into this, I guess, but like, it's not actually Henry telling her. It's Emma recounting what Henry has told her. Yeah. Like it's just this giant paragraph. Now this whole book, and I will try my hardest not to harp on this. But this book is structured in a way that I, I'm not super, I'm not a big fan of. Mm-hmm. There's so many commas, Beth. It took <laughs> me a second. But when the info dump happens, it is the most wall of text paragraph. And it's just like, oh, and then Regina had to sacrifice the thing that she loved the most. It was her dad. And then she did this. And then this. And then this. And then this. Whoa. Like, he's just telling her this as they're walking down the street. Okay. Um, yeah. Big so info yeah, dumps. Yeah. So we have started with the first two chapters, which is about a little over 50 pages. And I think that's probably going to kind of be how we continue. I think a couple chapters at a time is a great way for us to go through this, go through the story. And in the first one, Welcome to Storybrooke, it's a lot of the pilot, um, you know, recounting the pilot and Emma coming into Storybrooke, getting arrested, um and and all that fun chopping down the tree all that fun stuff and it also continues with it's basically the story of emma coming into storybrooke learning about henry's situation learning about the curse but then it's sprinkled with a lot of inner monologue that is kind of what differentiates this from the show and uh, before we start talking about like what we liked and didn't like, Abby, I, I wanted to turn it to you for a second to see like as far as the structure of these first two chapters, like how did you feel if it felt compared to the show? So in in the show, I've always appreciated the forwards and backwards, you know, time in the past and in the current whatnot i've never 
And it's so funny because I'm so annoyed with it specifically right now. I keep picking up books that keep going back and forth between characters, but it's always just between two characters. (laughs) And it drives me bonkers because, well, because the books I've been reading currently, they're usually like, like romancy comedy kind of books like that. And it's always like a relationship. So it's like, I don't need to know what the dude is feeling that like you're removing all of the tension. I know both of these idiots like each other. I don't know what we're doing right now and why this is happening. I like a single narrator. So I do, I, it's kind of okay now because the Mary Margaret and Snow White uh, flashbacks are just those. They're just flashbacks. We're not seeing Mm -hmm. the other side of the same situation through someone else's eyes, which can be compelling. Often is not. (laughs) Um, And so it's, it's okay. It does seem rushed. I feel like she was writing this as the episodes were happening quickly <laughs> and just hit publish. Um, Cause they just go back and forth and it seems very abrupt where they stop, stop and start. It doesn't seem natural narratively to me where they're stopping. It seems like they're stopping for scenes mm-hmm. and it just seems a little choppy that's where i was landing with it also all the commas so many commas you could you drown somebody with all these commas yeah i i honestly didn't notice the commas but i have a bad habit of overusing commas myself so i'm not going to be one to judge that situation beth they say that the things that you hate the most because hate and uh, love are on the same sword or something like that uh you hate things because they're similar to you I comma splice like nobody's business. So I notice them. I can see them in other people's work. When I write them, I'm in, I have no idea. I use them <laughs> crazily. But when I'm looking at somebody else, I'm like, oh, there it is. Oh, there it is. So anyway, yes. So yeah, so How, we have What did you two- think? What did you, what, where were you with the structure? I mean, it was easy to read. And, That's true. And it followed, it followed the general trajectory. There's, There's two things that I I liked about the structure. One was that it moved very easily and was simple to read. Again, it's a a novel for children. Um, And two, I I liked that their dialogue didn't match verbatim the dialogue in the show. Oh, yes. Good, Good note. And I know that some people actually had a problem with that. Like I was looking at some of the reviews. People were like, oh, they're not. It's not the same things as the show. And I'm like. There are some noticeable differences, which I want to point out, um, but I think that's okay because this isn't a one-to-one. But the final note I'll make before we kind of do a little mini recap is this is all on me. If I see a movie version of something or a TV show version of something before I read the original version or an adaptation... It's very hard for me. Like, I like to read the book before seeing the thing. I do not like to see the thing before reading the book because it colors my perception of how the characters think and act and talk. And it's a lot easier for me to put trust in an actor to reinterpret something than to look at what the actor did and then go back and be like, oh, no, that was the original intention. It doesn't match. It's cognitive dissonance. I don't like it. I agree with that. I don't mm-hmm. think that you would get the same effect, though, this way. I don't think if you were like, hey, would you like to watch Once Upon a Time? Yes, let me go back and read the <laughs> novelization of the first season first. 
Uh, because they, there's no... This is not the difference between Lord of the Rings, the movie, versus Lord of the Rings, the book, where mm. you can just sit there and be like, where was Tom Bombadil? How dare everyone? <laughs> the scourging of the shower was not there. Meh. Um... Because there's very little actual description. Like, I noticed that Regina as the evil queen is described. Um, and Red is kind of described. But other than that, it's just like, this is Emma. There she is. Here's Mary Margaret. There she is. You know, there's Granny. She's an old lady. There she is. And it's Henry. He's little and he's a boy. Yay. And so, like, a lot of it's kind of... When when you it made a lot more sense when you told me that it was written for such such a younger audience. It does seem like there should be pictures. <laughs> like I feel like I should be flipping through a book when I read mm -hmm. these. Like it feels like a kids book a little bit where it's like if you've ever read, um, you may have more eyes on this than than some of our our dear listeners. But if you've ever read like, oh, it's it's Finding Nemo, but it's the Golden Book, mm -hmm. so it's just like flying through it and if you haven't seen the movie none of the plot points make sense because if <laughs> like each page is 20 minutes of the movie and it's just like and then we found him and then he was gone also there's gonna be a lot more barking in this episode i apologize that's <laughs> all right <laughs> so i don't want to do like a full recap because like i said this is a a very close one-to-one -one with the show just truncated and shortened down in a lot of places and explained away in others um, so what I really want to talk about, you know, first is to kind of say what those main plot points are. And then I want us to talk about the main differences. And I think that's where things are really going to be interesting. So we get um, Emma arriving in Storybrooke uh, because Henry has come to get her and uh, bring her there. And so she does. And then the whole thing with Regina, the whole thing being framed by Hopper. She ends up in jail and she decides to stay in Storybrooke to make sure that Henry is OK. And then meanwhile, we have the flashback of the creation of the curse. And we know that it's the curse because Grumpy does yell about it. He tells us it's happening. Amazing. We love this about the book. We I, everything. Hi I highlighted that line. I was like, <laughs> that is extremely important information. That's a continuity. We must continue for all time. And and yeah, then the, the curse happens and they all end up in Storybrooke. And the where we left off is Emma chopped down a limb of Regina's tree. And uh, that's a moment I really want to talk about because holy shit, it was weird. Uh, and then she just goes to Regina and goes, your move, your move, bitch. And then she pieces out. So that's where we are. Is there anything of note that I missed before we kind of get into the nitty gritty a little bit? No, I don't think so. Because um, I'm very excited to talk about the book or about the uh, the book, the the tree part as well. Because I was like, Am I, what is going on? I'm so confused by the tree part. <laughs> there were only a few things. I mean, I, I, I took like, I took some notes. I'm pretty excited. Um, because for, again... For a children's book, we're now that I've I've wrapped my brain around this, like not even super YA because I don't even know if would Harry Potter be eight to twelve, like would stuff like that and Divergent, that's young adult, right? Yeah, and that's more I I in my brain, and I could be wrong. In my brain, young adult is more like teen, preteen, maybe at the youngest, but maybe not eight. I feel like there'd be a lot of stuff 
missed at eight. But there are so many $10 words. <laughs> One in which I fully looked up. Because I was like, I don't know what this means. And two of them that they were used, and again, I looked them up to make sure. I'm not 100% sure they were even used accurately. So that was fun. Other than that, just the info dumps and stuff uh, are mostly the things of note that I kind of jotted down of being like, this is a lot, but if the flashbacks are only going to be Snow White and Emma, it makes sense that they needed to slip this information in somewhere. Yeah, I think it's a time will tell situation. I don't know if we're only going to stick with Snow's backstory. It would make sense to kind of do that parallel between Emma and Snow's individual journeys and kind of do a little like compare and contrast between them. I think that's kind of cool for them to do without getting distracted by all the other stories. That said, the other stories are equally as important to the overall narrative, so it's going to be weird to see. I do want to make a note, a little oopsie on my part. I did read 8 to 12 on one place, but on Amazon it says grades 5 through 9, which would be more 10 to 14. Okay. So so either way, it's still like a kid's book, but that yeah. would be more in the preteen variety. Okay, like okay. I'm literally looking at a page and she says, nothing a little sleep and scotch wouldn't cure. I'm like, is that for an 8-year-old? That seems weird. <laughs> Again, they used incandescent to refer to Red's lipstick at one point. Mm-hmm. And and they they referred to the bail bond the bail bond guy that she chases down, like the first person, like when we first are introduced to Emma, she's chasing. She referred to him as having a wantonness. Mm-hmm. You know, that word mm. that every ten ten year old knows. <laughs> wantonness. He's a, he's a soup? He's, what's happening? <laughs> yeah, let's just wait until uh, Mary Margaret has a one night stand with Dr. Whale. <laughs> so the first thing I really want to talk about is the inner monologue that we we experience, particularly with Emma. Because while this isn't in first person, this is a third person omniscient narrative where we're getting in the headspace of what Emma is thinking, what Emma's feeling, and the same thing with Snow. But there's a big difference because Snow is the kind of character who wears her heart on her sleeve all the time. So you kind of know what she's feeling. Like nothing that they say in her inner monologue, for the most part, is all that surprising to me. There's occasionally when she's a little bit sassy, like inside her mind, which I liked, but that also matches her character. Emma's, on the other hand, I don't know about you, but it, it really, like, it really morphed the way I see her character in a good and a bad way. Mine was mostly in a worse way. Because I already have a really good, like, I've always really liked Emma as a character because she's very strong. But, like, this kind of was just, like, in no way would anybody be surprised by this characterization of Emma going dark. <laughs> because there's so many random moments where she is having very, I will just say, troublesome thoughts. Mm-hmm. And they're just, and but you do get to see more of her, like, you get to see more of her birthday, like, wish being loneliness. And she's like, I wish I wasn't alone. And she says she's not. Ta-da! But yes, there's just a little bit more of a rough edge and darkness that we get to have an insight on that I don't know... If I needed it or wanted particularly, especially around the whole, like, why she stayed, 
I think this frames her more as staying because she feels a motherly connection, mm-hmm. which I have a problem with. Agreed. That was my biggest hurdle with this is the everything about like we we already talked about this when we first started this whole thing is that I've always had a problem with like how we get Emma into Henry's life and no one freaks out about it. This is even worse somehow. It is. So a couple of the things I do want to know is like, one, you're talking about her having kind of darker thoughts and everything. There's a few instances uh, where like she assumes that like Hen- when Henry's at the door, she assumes it's someone coming to murder her. Like one of it's yeah. her old contact, like one of her old targets or something. And then she also assumes that Henry is pulling a con like like he's a, like someone is stealing all her shit while Henry sits in the kitchen. And so like she has a really hard time trusting and that's like a whole really interesting note is that she does she has a really hard time like trusting henry trusting the situation also she has some really rude things to say about therapy i did not care for okay the therapy scene was hysterical because it's like listen i understand patient doctor patient uh confidentiality I need you to tell me why this child is crazy and is it his mother? That's the therapy, Emma. <laughs> That's the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't remember it being this aggressive in the in the episode itself, but even in her thoughts, yeah, she's just like and she just keeps saying crazy and again. It this is only 10 years ago. It's not some sort of like way back machine, but still. It was just like we need to stop saying crazy. And I am genuinely concerned about Henry's mental health based on Emma's characterization of him. Well, yeah. And like she she says, she says like therapists are weirdos. She says that uh, Hopper walks funny, which I'm just like, why are you talking shit about Hopper? She's like, he's a cricket. Oh, I mean, he does kind of walk funny. You mean he's hopping? I don't. What are you talking? What kind of weird walk does a cricket do? Um, and then the other thing, and this is the the rough one I want to talk about before we kind of go into the fairy tale stuff for a little bit, is the whole thing with her motherly feeling background that they try to fill in. Because I really didn't like how this went. And as a mother, as I, a had mother. A big, I had a big problem with it. Like, so this is one line I want to read that I highlighted in particular because I it's it's a good law it's a good paragraph but not in this book not in this story right she says all she remembered was a baby she'd only been allowed to hold for a moment a warm soft crying thing who'd looked up at her with cloudy eyes from a stiff bed in a jail hospital ward after that just the devastation months of it years it was funny that anything that small could grow into a walking talking thing that was almost the craziest fantasy story there was Nothing in her life had hurt more than when the nurse pulled him away from her. She was so exhausted she couldn't even cry out. So I have two problems with this. One, it's really taking a lot of Emma's agency away. Yes. And two, it's literally not how it happened in the show. But if this was written before... No, because it was in season one. Like the doctor goes, you can change your mind. Here's the baby. And she says, no. And she, she won't, won't even refuse. look. She won't yeah. even look. Like, 
this is a very different, like, sure, maybe she was hurting on the inside. I'm okay with that inner, inner monologue, inner feeling, but it's rewriting her giving him away as it almost happening against her wishes instead of a thing, a choice that she made. And, you know, you don't, we're not going to say whether it's right or wrong because it's her choice to make. And I wouldn't dare do that anyway. But like, it almost feels like the book is passing judgment that what she did is wrong and she knows it's wrong. Well, it also, so I don't know if I got with the, I don't know if I gathered the passing judgment. I gathered more that like she wasn't quite sure. So the, the characterization of Emma via this book is not that she made a very strong and hard choice and did what she needed to do to make sure she disconnected from this child. Because looking at a baby, you're going to bond immediately. Especially, you know you know what I mean? And that I always thought was very powerful. It was awful and it was gut-wrenching when it happened. But in the book, it's the baby is being taken away from her. She then sees this kid and starts feeling all these motherly feelings. It makes her a different character altogether. And it also doesn't... It doesn't make sense against Snow White's story because there was supposed to be a parallel, like a harder parallel than an honorable, you know what I mean? Like Snow White's choice was honorable and she made that choice to disconnect from her child to save everybody. Emma did it to save the kid. Mm -hmm. They're two different. What's happening now is still the heroic choice and now it's just a no I, I i just can't apparently even though the baby would have been taken away anyway like it doesn't sound like she tried to give him away it sounded like he got taken away because she was in jail yeah and that's not what the situation was like no she, like she the the kid henry could have been sent to a foster family until she was out of jail like there is, there are, there are resources for that. That's not what she wanted and that's not what she was doing. Like she did not want to have a child. So I, she, you know, did I think adoption. this was similar to what you, where you and I were when we discussed that specific episode uh, of, of just severe lack of understanding of that situation and, mm-hmm. and the penal system and pregnancy and whatever. Um, I will say to 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 back off that just a tad. I did appreciate like in the, not appreciate but find funny. The first chapter Emma makes a comment in her own head that her past is blank. And I like wrote that down. I was like, "What do you mean her past is blank? She doesn't not remember stuff." And then she proceeds to say all this horrifying stuff that happened in her past and I'm like, "That's her that's there's not blank. That's a that's a lot of stuff. That's a that's a lot of living she did. Holy cow! She's a bail bondsman who gave up a kid in jail, and there's clearly more to back up. None of that is blank. Are you lying to yourself in your own head, Emma? Because that's maybe you need to go see Archie. <laughs> uh, any other notes about Emma and Regina's whole thing before we kind of talk about the fairy tale stuff? I mean, I, I'm siding with Regina so far because, like, if a strange, also again, no one, pr- no one is confirming the relationship between these two people. Like, Henry just shows up and be like, you're my mom. And Emma's like, I did give up a kid. He's about your age. Yup. And Regina's like, no, I don't care who you are. I don't care what's going on. Get out of my house. Which is exactly how you would react if 10 years later, 
a closed adoption parent, like there's 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 a reason it's set the way that it is. She's not wrong. She's no. not wrong to be for whatever she is and whatever her past is in this instance for this scenario. She is correct. Um, there's also a part, one of the other things that I wrote down was when Emma gets exposed in the paper, like that was already like a really wild choice, even in the show. She makes a comment that like, oh, well they even got Henry's birthplace, right? So the paper was also exposing that Henry was adopted and Emma's the mom, like we're exposing Henry's personal information, a 10 year old's personal information. That's, it's a lot going on in a paper. Yeah, I mean, I imagine Henry hasn't exactly been secretive. He's been telling people about this for a while. Uh, and, you know, he introduces her as my mother, my birth mother. Um, but that's still no excuse for Sydney to, to, to out him. You know, Henry's a boy. Henry is a child. If he wants to spill the beans, he can spill his own Henry, beans. Yeah, Henry is a minor. Uh, no one confirmed. Whatever. Anyway, that's all I had. Let's, let's move away from that. Yeah. So I have two, like, gripes with like corrections one is related to the emma story and one is related to the um enchanted forest story for the emma one at one point emma tells mary marker i was adopted i never had a mother or she tells henry yeah she wasn't adopted that's nope. the whole point yeah so this that is, uh, yeah that was a bad goof in my opinion that was that's again a fundamental misunderstanding of that system mm-hmm. which just is I don't know, I guess. But yeah, she's never adopted. I mean, she even mentions like literally, I think a paragraph before that. She talks about how she went from home to home for every three months in a new home. That's not adopted. That's a, you're a foster kid who aged out of the system. She didn't even age out of the system. I think, didn't she run away? So like, not adopted. I also noted that. Correct. The other one has to do with the Enchanted Forest storyline in that it's not called the Enchanted Forest it's the author calls, calls it fairy tale land. I thought I was losing my mind. And I was like, okay, maybe it's just like one one off and then it's just going to be called Enchanted Forest. Or maybe Enchanted Forest is a realm inside fairy tale land. But no, every reference in the book so far has been fairy tale land and it drove me freaking bonkers. Like, you can make changes. That is one I don't think you can make. Because no. it's literally the title, the literally the name of the land. Yeah, there were a couple of these notes where it did just kind of seem like quick hit fan fiction. Mm-hmm. And, and that was the kind of the vibe I was getting. Because then there's like a part where, again, this is a major plot point in the show of the blanket. Emma's mm -hmm. blanket. And she's just like, oh, yeah, I mean, I had a blanket and my name's Emma. And I have that blanket somewhere. It's in a box. It's not a big deal. Like, we just completely gloss over it and she never... I don't know. We'll get to it. Maybe she <laughs> will think about it again. But as of chapter two, she has not. No. Um, you want to know what my major gripe was, Beth? What's that? She refers to Graham as somewhat handsome. Somewhat handsome. Yeah, that's... Graham was somewhat handsome. That's not exactly accurate. Is... is uh... I, I have so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> has she met him? Has she seen him? Question number one. How dare you? Second of all... <laughs> yeah, I just love those. Like, yeah, you grab somewhat handsome. I put my whole Kindle down to write down this note. <laughs> 
So the all the enchanted forest stuff, or excuse me, fairy tale land stuff is so far all we've seen is the creation of the curse, and we don't we don't get to read about charming uh, sword fighting while holding a baby. That happens off screen or off page, as you will. Yeah. Um, but there were a couple things I actually kind of enjoyed about this retelling of the of the backstory. Uh, one was the characterization of Rumpelstiltskin. Because they, like, I just want to read this par- this little paragraph here. It says, Rumpelstiltskin was at the bars of the cell, and they could s- see his scaled face. His nose was twisted and warded, his teeth yellow spikes. Some foul magic had done this to him, but Snow didn't know exactly how and didn't want to. He smiled, his grotesque tongue wagging out of his mouth. And then he's later described as a goblin. So, like... I feel like they kind of made a creative choice to amp up the monstrosity of Rumpelstiltskin because it was on the page as opposed to on the screen. And I I liked that. I liked that visualization. I'm like, yeah, make him freaking creepy looking and weird. I agreed. Um, again, one of the few characters that got an actual description. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and, and a hell of a description it was. And yeah, and that whole scene, again, because I'm sitting there, they're just like, oh, who is he? Don't tell him who you are. How do you know who I am? As we all know, he knows who both of these people are. Eh. Um, yeah, I liked this. It did seem, it was also funny because they're like at the end of the rows of jail cells. And it's like, no, I'm if I'm remembering correctly, he was like in a pit of a specially yeah. prison. Um, but this was nice. And it was a nice way to reveal the Emma thing. Uh, because it, since it is through Snow's perspective, I, the thing that I dislike the most about Snow's perspective at this point is that it's mostly Snow just telling them, telling what's happening. Mm -hmm. We're not getting enough insight. And again, you correctly stated Snow lives with her heart on her sleeve, but I would like to hear that inner monologue. I still want to hear her making the conscious choice or... When Charming says, no, it's it's a boy, it's not a girl. And for her to be like, you know, I've always thought it was a girl, but maybe, I, you know you know what I mean? Like, just mm-hmm. be like, oh, well, he's he's been so convinced and I thought I thought I'd just let him have it. Just, I wish I would, I, that's the inner monologue I want to hear. Mm. Because hard on your sleeve, you still have these cute thoughts about your partner. And I... They're the, their true love. I want to hear those those true love thoughts where you just think he's he's kind of a dork, but I love him so much because he's just so cute. We don't get any of that. No, no, it's a bit a little bit more matter of factly than it is with Emma's inner monologue, which is kind of it's interesting. Uh, whether it's good or bad, I think it's I think it's a bit of both. Um, the other thing I felt like it did well, in my opinion, almost even better than the show was the actual scene where the curse arrives and everyone's getting swallowed up in it. And the queen is relishing in her glory and everything in the show. This is cheesy as heck. Yeah. It's like the queen is getting surrounded by the cloud, the, the, the fo- green fog thing. And she's laughing. <laughs> and then snow goes, where are we going? And she says, somewhere horrible, a place where you will never have a happy. No one gets their happy ending. <laughs> like it's very, 
very dramatic and it's very corny. But they kind of amp it up in in the book where one, <laughs> the queen has a monologue, which I want to read because I thought Go it was actually kind of amazing. Fun. So this is after Snow tells the queen, uh, Emma's safe. You're going to lose. Good always wins, which is a line from the sh- from the show. And then the queen says, spare me. Good does not always win. In fact, good almost always loses my pretty young thing. You're brainwashed by this ridiculous world. Do you know that? No, of course you don't. Try a week in a different realm. Try having a monster for a parent. That'll teach you to grow up fast. Like, I mean, I don't, that would not work on the show, but it works in here. Oh, yeah. No, this was a great monologue. Um, I do like that they are playing up that Regina's broken a little bit. Like, yeah. Because before, you, she, you don't, we don't get to see the cracks in her as early Mm -hmm. um i will say just again nitpick but a funny nitpick during the big info dump about regina's past that henry somehow knows uh he talks about he he mentions that she has to kill her father Mm -hmm. (laughs) and emma's thought is oh it's some sort of oedipal anger situation i'm like no 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 no. killing your dad is not an oedipal thing (laughs) killing your dad to sleep with your mom is an oedipal thing (laughs) <laughs> I I don't know if Emma got the full gist of the story or was filling in some blanks, <laughs> but that gave me pause. Uh, yeah, you're right. This was a lot more in talking about the smoke and everything and how it was coming in. It's it's one of those things that again, with the technology that they were using and the cheese factor, it makes sense in the show. In the book, it got hyped up into this cool moment. I was pretty pumped. You're right. Then the, it, your reading of it was a 10 out of 10. We love Thank this. you. Yeah, like it's described as like the wind is howling. Uh, there's cracks in the sky. Strange objects can be seen. So like I'm just envisioning like a full on Loki situation where you've got the cracks opening up in the multiverse and and things are coming in where you can see a clock here. You can see a computer and, you know, all these things that she's not going to understand because she's from the Enchanted Forest or fairy tale land three spider-mans drop in (laughs) (laughs) and yeah so that's i i did like that scene that we saw so far in the book was there anything in particular that you really liked abby was there a scene you liked a kind of a dialogue interaction or anything like that stood out to you um well stood out i don't know if i liked it i i haven't decided how i feel about it but we'll, let's just talk about the, the apple tree scene yes. to close out because a wild choice. Like it, I the way that I will describe this, and it's not a one to one. Understand that, but it's kind of like in the Twilight series. Stay with me. In Breaking Dawn, when she spoiler alerts for Breaking Dawn in Twilight, by the way, in Breaking Dawn when she finally gives birth to her child, it is the most graphic, grotesque horror scene you could possibly imagine it's viscerally tough to read it's my favorite part of the books because stephanie meyer went dark and horror and it was crazy does not fit the tone for literally the rest of the series which is wild because it's a book about vampires hysterical that's the way i felt about this scene to a point where it was like oh we're having a good time and everything's fine and then all of a sudden emma becomes possessed by 
just anger and rage and motherly protection. So she's like, oh, well, I will hurt something Regina wants to hurt. She buys a bunch of chains. Like, she's going to rip the thing out of the ground and then, like, has to walk herself back. She's like, I will rip it from the ground and I will burn it. I will burn it down. No, I'll just scar it. I'll just put some scars on it so then she can look at the scars. Just scar it. And like the, she kept saying that it was just that I'm just going to, just going to just a little bit, just a li- just, I'm just, just a little bit. It's like, she calls it a more, uh, a wound, but not a mortal wound. Yes. And I do want to clarify. It is a chainsaw, which is what is in the show as well. And I, <laughs> I, this is what I highlighted because this was what was really disturbing to me. It says she chose a sh- chainsaw with a two-stroke engine, asked a clerk to take it out of the box and gas it up, and paid with her credit card. Doing a little yard work? Asked the woman behind the counter. No, Emma said, not at all. That woman should not have sold Emma the chainsaw. No. Tell no. her to get out of your store. That is a woman who is about to murder people. I, I just, yeah, yeah. You doing a little yard work? No. Which way's the cul-de-sac again? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that's kind of where we leave off. Is Emma is in Storybrooke? The clock has ticked. She is here to stay. She wants to figure out what's going on. And we get more of her her motivation, which is a bit too much into the motherly instinct, motherly bond thing than I would like at this point in the story, because that does obviously come. Like she does, she loves Henry and she has, she has developed a very close relationship with her birth son. But it hasn't happened yet. No. And I don't like it happening so early in her mind because then it makes a lot of the things she's doing and the choices she's making feel really off. Yeah. Like if the whole point, like if her inner monologue is about disconnecting from the situation and like shutting down everything, because she talks a lot about her armor and the chink in her ar- chinks in her armor and that is narratively consistent with the show. But... Like, she would put the walls up so thick. The whole idea of, I am his mother. He has my eyes. That wouldn't come in as often as it does so far in the story. Or if it did, I mean, because you can have that kind of, like, mild intrusive thought of, that kid has mm-hmm. my... No, no. We're, this is why I didn't want to look at him. This is why we're not going to do these things. Because, like, her character is supposed to accidentally realize she's a mom. Mm-hmm. Like, that she didn't want to not be like, oh, I'm a mom now. Let's, like, let's go. Like, I feel like I wish it would have been framed a little bit closer to, you know, she's just trying to make sure that he is protected. Not in a motherly way, but just making sure that she made the right choice. So, I'll be interested to see how this plays out. Because it, it doesn't... It's not vibing with me. There's a little bit of dissonance, um as you talked about at the start of this, seeing the show and reading the book, you know, and vice versa, you're going to have the moments of just being like, no, I don't like this. And that's where I think both you and I are just like, no, I don't like this. (laughs) I saw it different and I I like it the other way. (laughs) Mad nerds. So maybe, maybe, maybe it's fine later. Maybe it all plays out. Who knows? I, I don't, I'm, I look forward to the next three chapters 
as we get a little bit more into the meat of the story. Exactly. And that's, I think, where we're going to leave things off and uh, and leave our book club uh, homework assignment for next time. Um, so we will be reading the next, you want to do the three next three chapters. Next can, three chapters. Next three chapters. That's what we're going to do, y'all. Big so read. Big read. We can do it. It's a YA novel, 10 to 14. We're of varying ages and we're all, we're all cool. And we're, books are cool. I would like to also point out, um, if you haven't joined our Facebook group, that you absolutely should. We, so many amazing book recommendations, <gasps> whether we cover them for the show or not, I have written them all down. <laughs> I don't have them with me. I apologize. I will bring up a list of uh, anything that's been recommended um, for the next episode, and I can kind of give you some because I also have a friend who it loves uh, retellings of story um, of fairy tale stories. I will also mention those so that if anyone wants to read them or look into them, they can. Or if after we're done with these, if this writer strike and actor strike goes on forever or however long, we will have a plethora of fairy tale retellings to choose from. Absolutely. So thank you guys for all of your amazing recommendations yes and we got some on patreon as well and i do want to give a shout out to our uh, wonderful patrons especially our swan queen patrons this week's shout out goes to la femme fictionale thank you so much for supporting us if you want to also join our wonderful community that's going to be at patreon.com slash oua timing you can become a baby dragon a deary or a, sw- a swan queen hmm. and i will say I was noticing a bit of Emma was talking a bit about Regina's attractiveness. And I know it's not intended that way, but it's my headcanon. I can deal with it as I see fit. I was about to say, I don't see as much swan queening happening so far. I did catch hints of it. Just a little, uh, but just a little, just a little I'll keep my I'll keep my eyes peeled. Mm, keep your eyes peeled and hearts open. And you can join the Facebook group. That's going to be at facebook.com slash group slash OUA timing. Thanks to everybody for having a wonderful conversation in there about our book club. Yay. It's so great. And if you want to subscribe to us while we're doing this wonderful book club adventure, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. You can go to Amazon. You can go to Spotify, wherever you get those podcasts. We're going to be back next week with the next three chapters of Reawakened, A Once Upon a Time Tale. And the last thing I'm going to say before we close out, Abby, is I feel like the book description was inaccurate because nothing about this indicates that August is telling this story. No, not a single <laughs> bit of this. I don't know where the hell that came from. With the, did the with the one foot in the magical world, one foot in the real world, and two hands on a typewriter. Where? You know You're nowhere. You know what? <laughs> this would make a lot more sense. Like, August is somehow like some secondary author that is just taking very large liberties with his storytelling. <laughs> oh, no. He's changing the past. He's just like, and then Emma stares at Regina. Lovingly, she thinks she's sort of cute. It's like, August, what is this? It, but they're but they're not friends. It's fine, but they're so pretty. <laughs> All right. Well, August headcanon matches our own. A thumbs up to that. And thank you everybody for joining us for this first episode of the Once Upon a Timing Book Club. Thank you for going on this wonderful journey with us. And Abby, we'll see you and read you next week. See you 
and read you next week. Yeah. 